this is Steve Balton. You are here on My Turning Point. And this week, I'm beyond excited to welcome Maxwell onto the show, man. This was a fantastic conversation about Summer of Soul, about art versus fame, about his adoration for Janet Jackson. Dude, we went deep on a lot of stuff. This was a really special interview. Hope you enjoy this one as much as I did. Thanks. I'm in New York City. How is it in New York City today? It's beautiful. It's beautiful. I miss it. I miss it a lot. I'm not always in it because obviously with all the stuff that's been going on, but, you know, it just made me happy to just be in my home area, you know, just seeing buildings I've seen for so many years and people. And so it was, it's a nice, today's a good day. Today's a good day. Well, it's interesting though. You say that you don't always get to be there. Do you feel like the last couple of years you've gotten to be home more or, and of course this is I, I, every interview, all 4,622 interviews I've done in the last two years have touched oh. upon this fact that, you know, it's whether you are Ozzy Osbourne, Stevie Nicks, ASAP Rocky, everybody's had to change their lifestyle immensely in the last two years. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, you know, I mean, you know, you, you deal with your mental health and you, you know, you try to, you know, count your blessings and you try to stay positive and, and, and tell yourself all the things that make everything what it is so that you can get through it, you know, and so many people have it a lot worse than me. So, um, but today's a great day. Yesterday wasn't such a great day, but today's like, I was out, I went, I was walking around. Um, I met up with some friends who I haven't seen in literally two years um, so it's just, it's slowly but surely coming back again, at least I hope. Look, you may not tour all the time, but you've always had the opportunity to do so. It was your choice. When that choice is taken away from you, yes. it definitely makes you rethink things a little bit. So as you get ready for this, you know, summer nights tour, I mean, is it something that you feel like you're appreciating more now? Because it's, again, it was taken away from you for a minute. Yeah, I I can tell you this. I I feel such a uh, I feel such a uh, a respect for the earth, for the planet, for my life, for health, for being able to walk down the street, being able to. It's it's a, it's, it's it's a very unique feeling because you know coming from New York, everyone's on top of each other, um, and the you know just the how busy it is here. And then it stopped being so busy and people were very cautious and obviously everyone stayed in and didn't go in anywhere. And, then, you know, of course, we know last December, Omicron just blew through this entire city and just everyone caught, caught it, you know, and uh, it's a little depressing to open the year knowing that here we are still. But again, you know, you just got to count your blessings and just be grateful that, you know, you get to you get to survive, you know. Well, it's interesting. Okay, so you've you've released off. The new album comes this spring. You know, but it's interesting too. I mean, for you, before we come on to the new album for a second, because look, again, when, like I talked about, when you have things taken away from you for a second, you know, so you haven't been able to tour for a minute. Are there songs of yours, are there older songs that maybe you had a chance to revisit, to rethink, to appreciate? Because look, 99.9% .9 of artists don't go back and listen to their own music unless it's for a tour or something like that. So for you though, 
when you have this opportunity yes. where it's like, okay, you've had a chance to sit back and sort of contemplate things for a minute. You're like, all right, dude, I can almost look at this song as if, you know, it was written by someone else, almost from the standpoint of being a fan. Well, it's interesting that you, you, you definitely know your stuff. Kudos. <laughs> um, I've done a lot of these know, dudes, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, when the song is unreleased, it's still, it's mine. And, it, you know, I could listen to it and like I'd sculpt it and or just leave it as it is. Um, and then I have the memory of like why I wrote it and I have the memory of how I wrote it and who was in the room helping it, helping me produce it and create it and bring it to fruition. Um, once released, it doesn't belong to me. And then all those memories of how it was created and what brought it about, it, the memories change. They become memories of like how the song affects the people who hopefully like it, uh, the people who hopefully celebrate with it. And then, so that's why I hold on to a lot of the music a little bit longer than most artists, because I just want to remember what it was like when it was just mine for a minute. And then when it goes to the world, like Pretty Wings, totally different memories for what it was when I was recording it and writing it than now when it's out. Cause I, I couldn't, I associate the audience and couples and people who have like tried to get married to that song, which is kind of interesting because it's not lyrically like a song about getting married, <laughs> but you know, people can do what they want. Uh, so yeah, you know, your stuff <laughs> truly. Well, that's so interesting that you say that because I just did a book that's coming out later this year. And one of the people I talked to for the book is Shania Twain. And we were talking about the song, You're Still the One. And dude, that's an interesting song because right here, Shania wrote a song for the husband who then cheated on her. So she then had to figure out how to remake the song. And she talked very much about the song becoming the part of the audiences. So where I'm going with this, have there been responses you've heard from people that have really stood out to you or that you're like, okay, it does make you hear the song in a different way. Because look, dude, also for the book, I talked to Veridine White and he was telling me, you know, he was laughing, telling me how people would be like, we're trying to have our babies on September 21st. Literally tried to plan it to have the babies on September 21st. Right. I mean, well, first off, Shania Twain, this emoji, um, and that song is so dope. Um, but like, you know, it's, uh, I, I guess the best way to answer that is that, you know, it becomes, it belongs to the world after you release it. It's almost like a child, you know, it's 18, it gets to make its own decisions. Um, you can't really tell it what to do, date, who to be with, how to uh, identify how people um, are affected by the song um, is up to them. I, you know, a lot of people sometimes want me to explain the meanings behind the music and I'm, I'm always apprehensive in doing so because I think that it's better to give the audience the respect to make the song become their own personal thing than me sort of like pushing my agenda about what I want them to feel the song is. So um, and then at the same time, you want a song that you can do when you're 50 and 16, 70. So that's like a really tight rope to walk on because there's very trendy things that are happening. And then they're very sort of like shock and awe music and you know things that get people like their attention, but not their respect. You know what I mean? I'm more interested in making songs that get people's people to respect the, the craft and the tradition than just to get them to remember me, you know? So it's like a very weird um, 
environment to kind of like figure out when we're trying to decide. That's why it takes forever because I'm always trying to figure out what songs are going to be hopefully classics more than just, I don't know, pop, you know, which is to me a, a four letter word. <laughs> I'm with you on that. It's funny. When you think back to being a kid and those songs that made you remember and appreciate and understand the craft, what are the one or two where you first started to understand that, okay, songs could have this this lasting impact and the significance? And again, maybe when you hear stuff when you're a kid, you might not have any clue why it has that resonance with you, but it hits you in a place where you just know that song is going to be with you forever. I mean, you know... I just think that when I look at like, you know, it's funny, I, I was watching Summer of Soul yesterday. I finally uh, got, my, got a chance to check it out. And when I, listened, when I saw Mahalia Jackson up there and Mavis Staples and, you know, David Ruffin and, uh, you know, you're like, that's the goal, you know, that's where you want to be. You, I mean, for me, you know, the last thing I would ever want to be is a pop star. No disrespect to anyone who is. God bless you. Make your money. Be as be number one forever. But you know, pop can be you know fair weather. You know, for me, you know, they people come and go with pop, not in terms of the artist, but the interests of the audience can move so quickly. So when I was looking at Summer of Soul, and I was just like, wow, look at these songs. I I know these songs, and I wasn't even alive in 1969 to know. So if I could, that's the impact that I'm, that I always hope to try and, you know, and reflect is uh, uh, something that's going to be timeless and something that's going to just outlast the trends and, and, and would not necessarily be embarrassing to do if I was 60 or, you know, 50, which I'll be in like a couple of years. So um, that's usually the goal. Yeah. No, it's interesting. By the way, we cannot talk about Summer of Soul without talking about, oh my God, that sly footage. Oh. I mean, I mean, when you just look at that and, you know, I'm just such a huge sly fan. And it's for me, when I look at the business of music and I see all those artists and I see how much they, how much they're giving to the world and how the business can take so much from them, um, I feel very, very privileged in my position right now because now I'm in a different situation. Like when I make music now, the music is a partnership with BMG. It's not like I've signed my soul to some company that's going to, you know, keep my masters forever. And, you know, which, you know, of course I already went through that process in 94 when I signed my deal with Columbia. Um, but that was just the way the times were, you know, um, and I'm so happy for the new artists who get to start their own companies, who can stream their records and be their own record companies and be their own CEOs and have their craft work for them as opposed to just for the corporate end game. Um, and they can actually be more creative because of it. They don't have to like say, well, this is what's really happening. Look what's on the charts right now. Because in the end, everyone's always looking for that new thing, you know, not the thing that's happening right now that's, you know, in, in style, but the thing that's going to be in, 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 in vogue, you know? So um, I'm just grateful. I have a freedom that's it's a different type of freedom. And, but I will say this, it, you know, Columbia gave me and has always given me um, absolute creative 
freedom to do what I wanted. Mitchell Cohen is an angel. Like, I mean, he was like, you're not making an R&B record. You're not making a soul record. You're, not, you're making your record. You're making whatever record you feel. Um, there was never a push to be a pop star. Um, I'm quite afraid of that whole, that the whole notion of that because, because I see how people's lives just go, you know, it's just very strange. R&B audiences and soul audiences are so much more loyal. I feel, you know, they, they stick by you a little bit more than pop audiences because pop audiences are associated with the young, the youth. And if you're like 13 and 14 and you like something, how many things did you like at 13 and 14 that you still like at 17, 18, 19 and onto your thirties and forties. So I'm just grateful to be an R&B, soul, neo, whatever you want to call it, um, artist. And for those who know me, they do. For those who don't, you know, one day maybe. <laughs> See, that's so interesting because, you know, as someone who obviously has gotten to talk to everyone, I think that fame is one of the most dangerous things that there can ever be. It's funny for you. Are there people that you got to be around or that you look to for the way that they have their career has evolved and they've been able to grow and do stuff? And obviously, look, man, I mean, when you're talking about in the R&B world, I think probably the benchmark in today's R&B world is Stevie, for who I've gotten to meet so many times. He's the nicest guy in the world. But then you look at someone like Sade, too, who's just as badass as has ever been. And will do whatever she wants, whenever she wants. And the whole world will drop what they're doing if Sade puts out new music or does a tour. That was literally going to like, I was literally going to, you know, bring her up as an example. Um, <clears throat> you know, I think, I think also someone that I feel who um, has somehow done the same thing or has a, impacted our, our culture in the same way as Janet. I think Janet Jackson has impacted us in a way that we didn't quite expect. And when I was watching the documentary, you know, I was just so blown away by, I don't think people realize how hard it would be to be just as notable as Michael Jackson. You know, I mean, it, it, it's literally the most impossible, insurmountable thing. And without even trying to compete, she has carved her own way. And then, of course, you know, she went away for whatever reasons, and we all know those reasons, but to see her come back and see the world embrace um, her work, um, I think it's quite, she's a very special pop star in that regard because the world hasn't decided to say bye. You know what, we're, we're going to move on to, to the next young whatever thing thing. Like people respect that, that body of work. And, um, you know, to your point with Sade, it's like, it's the same thing, you know? I just want people to be able to listen to the music and, you know, remember that, you know, this is not only just us trying to, you know, make songs and make you happy and get you to dance. This is a tradition. This is a, this is a, a long tradition, especially the, that Summer of Soul really speaks true to the fact that when you see all those people in that park, 300,000 people, I think it was. And that's how black people survive. You know, they 
they they hum a, they they hum a, a little tune in, the, in their heads during their darkest moments, and I think I think all people who are you know marginalized on some level um, use the arts in a, in a beautiful way to to survive to get through the day, um, and so I just hope that the music that I do can actually hopefully inspire anyone out there who's living in their world that could be you know marginalized or. Um, restricted and and that they can find freedom in that creativity. Well, that's really interesting because that brings us back to Black Summer Nights. And it's interesting. I love what you said about how sometimes it takes you a while to release music because you want to hold on to it for yourself. <laughs> so are there songs on there now that you go back and listen to that, I mean, because look, I'm also a big believer, by the way, that good writing is subconscious. Good writing will kind of dictate where it's going to you. And then you go back and listen to it and you're like, Dude, I don't even know I was thinking that. I mean, I've talked to artists who've told me it takes them 20 years to figure out what an album is about. So are there songs on this record for you that as you think about bringing them to the stage in a couple of months that really excite you or that you feel like, oh, okay, well, that's an interesting way of putting it there too. Have there ever been a song then that you feel like it becomes so personal because you want to hold on to it that you're just like, nope, it's not going out there because this is, it's me. I mean, I, I used to feel like that a lot more because I think as I was, you know, getting coming of age in, in the business, I was a, very aware um, when you look at someone like Jay-Z who starts his own record company and has, you know, this freedom to, to create his own company and to create, you know, his own, you know, when you do something for yourself and you have the returns mean more so that you can actually, you know, help your community. Um, I think for me, I was reticent about continuing. It was just unfair. The whole process of it was unfair. And I remember Prince telling me, you know, God rest his soul, uh, talking about this whole masters thing. And I remember I was, you know, on the verge of being released and coming, you know, the album was done in 95 and I was, I was sitting in a studio apartment for like 12 months watching everyone you know, get their chance out there and wondering if like I was good enough or you know, I didn't even know. I was so confused about my worth and my, uh, you know, if it was going to be significant. Um, and I remember not being, not understanding fully what, what Prince was trying to explain because I was already knee deep in, you know, and it, nothing had started. But as, you know, the records were coming out and the songs were were being released, I started to understand that, uh, you know, that this wasn't when he was wearing slave on his face, uh, he had a point. <laughs> um, it wasn't a point that everyone could understand at the time because maybe in, in some people's mind, they probably thought he was disgruntled because, you know, whatever he, you know, but it wasn't, he was right. He was right. You know, I think that people should be fair and they should, uh, be fair with the creative, the creatives that they come in contact with, you know, um, obviously the internet has changed everything. So people could just like take whatever, listen to you, however they want to. Um, so it's uh, it's been like an, a, a, a tough uphill battle, but I know in the end that justice will prevail. And um, again, I'm, I'm just grateful that I, I have the opportunity and to, to be able to have an audience. I mean, that's a, that's, pretty rare. It's 25 years, 26 years later to have an audience that would even be aware of me and care to even come to check you out, you know? 
Well, it's an interesting thing too. I mean, and that's kind of what I was getting at earlier and and how the audience responds to the songs is that's a cool thing is that like you say, you know, your audience has gotten married to your songs. They've grown with you. So that's a very cool thing too. And it's interesting though. I want to go back to that for one second. I mean, look, it's so funny because I think a lot of times too, when you're young, right? Everything's happening in a whirlwind. You don't get to appreciate it. It's just a blur. Can you like appreciate now in a different way, sitting back and being able to say, oh, when I was younger, Prince said this to me because, they, I mean, I was talking about it not long ago in an interview. There was one night in my 20s where I was covering something for Rolling Stone. I met Chuck Berry, Bo Diddley, and Little Richard in the same night. I was such a dumbass little kid. I didn't appreciate it at the time. And now I look back on it and it's just like, that's the most amazing night in history for a music geek. So do you have those moments now where you're just like, you appreciate them in a different way being older? Because when it happens when you're young, you're kind of, everyone is too naive to appreciate it. Yeah, you just, you, you know, you, <clears throat> it's very interesting. You know, I've been, been you know, it's, it's interesting when your dreams turn into nightmares and when your nightmares become your dreams, right? So for me, I'm sitting here and I'm, I'm working on this album, which will be out spring, summerish, springish, summerish, like that. Um, and and I'm like, I have to sort of make a record that lives up to everything that I did before, and hopefully surpasses what I could have ever imagined. So every time I I'm about to begin a you know a new um, you know part of the trilogy or an album or whatever. I'm always confronted with this great, huge responsibility of like, is this bigger than that? Is this better than that, the past? But I have to sort of like, I have to like X that out of my mind because um, the thing that makes the past so beautiful is that there's nostalgia connected to it. There's the fact that you can never get it again. You can, you, I mean, you can never go back to 1996, 97, before cell phones, when people actually had to watch the show and pay attention, <laughs> um, you know, but you can only like, you know, remember, try to get the essence of what made that happen and push forward in, in a new time uh, without compromising um, your, you know, your creative integrity on some level. So that's the battle. The battle is like yourself, you know, competing with with what you were. Um, so I mean, yeah, I, it's a. It's funny. I was I was talking to someone. I want to say who who she is, but it's like she's put a lot of records out and stuff. And she says to me, you know, people just don't know how hard it is to actually put a song together after you've had so many songs that mean so much. And we're so big because people are so quick to be like, well, it's not like that album or it's not as good as this song. And for me, in my mind, that's the strangest thing to do is to be, com to compare, um, to compare your, your music uh, or to even say something's better or, the whole concept of award shows is almost like bizarre to me because I'm like, how do you say what songs are? I mean, you know, Marvin Gaye didn't win a Grammy until, uh, you know, sexual healing. But I mean, there's so many things in his catalog that 
aren't even the hits that are just amazing to me. So you just have to kind of walk with that understanding that someone will be touched, hopefully, by what you're trying to do. Um, and then like not think about the business of it and the metrics of it and how think people measure the success and how people, um, because, you know, here my idea was like considered a flop, but it's, a, it's to me, one of his most amazing records. When you listen back to it, it's, it's so futuristic and so ahead of its time, but because people are so fixated on, on those hits and what they have, uh, projected on you that they they won't allow you to actually bring them to another better place or more unique space with you so that's a big that's a huge battle that i think every artist struggles with um and so when you do get a pretty wings after seven years you're like wow you know okay they like something and oh you don't have to have a fro you don't have to you know have whatever the quote-unquote uh uh you know, I don't even know how to describe it, but you know, you don't have to have that shtick or the one trick pony thing, you know? I mean, I remember people, you know, thinking that my success was attributed to my visual thing. And then when, you know, I felt great pride coming back and knowing that I could just write a song and have it not be about all this stuff. And, you know, as you know, you probably know the story. I mean, that's why I wasn't on the first album cover because I wanted people to just focus on the music because um, I'm not really interested in being like, a famous person. I mean, I understand that fame will come, but I'm not into the whole, because it can be kind of savage. <laughs> people can be quite, um, You'd be surprised what people will say to you or ask you that they would never say or ask any, you know, any regular person. Um, but it's part of what comes with what you do. You know, it's, a, you know, I decided to become a public person. I released records to the masses. So you just, you take it and you smile and you keep moving. <laughs> Well, it's an interesting thing though. And, and it's funny because, you know, I would not be surprised what people say to you, but I mean, I think the, the average person would be, but it's interesting because another thing that comes with this though, right? And we're going to have to wrap up in a minute, which is a bummer because you and I could talk all freaking day, but, <laughs> and I do want to get to the state partnership. And also I think it's awesome that you're also partnering with the Black Independent Coalition promoter. So I want to talk about that as well, but very quickly, you know, look, one of the things that happens too, everybody, regardless of who you are, whether you're public, private, as you get older, 99% of people get more comfortable. They get more confident in themselves. They have other things in life, all those things that mattered when you were younger. I say 99% of people because you look at the last president and some of the people in politics and you realize there are some people who will never freaking grow up no matter what. But for the average person, they get more comfortable and more confident as they get old. So for you right now, are you enjoying music more? As you say, you're going to be 50 in a couple of years. All mm -hmm. the other shit that went with it kind of fades away. And do you feel like now you're able, when you put out an album, when you tour, that you're able to just appreciate it more and enjoy it more for the music and not worry about all the other stuff that comes with it? I wish I could say that that is the case, but I do, I do worry. I, I, you know, I have a respect for wanting it to be great. So, um, uh, I, I never take it for granted. Like even with off being released and when I hear positive news about it, I'm like, wow, really? Cause it's like, I felt good about it. It felt like, yeah, we should go with this. 
And then when you see like people are, are excited about it and it's moving, it's and propelling, you know, look, I just want to, uh, I just want to leave a mark that hopefully heals as many people in, in, ter- in, in that, that the music can, if I can. Um, I, that was always a goal. I was always very serious about what it meant to be an R&B soul artist or whatever. It, like my idols were Sam Cooke and Ella Fitz, you know, like those are the people I looked at. I wasn't looking at what was going to be here today and gone tomorrow. So I, I set my goals pretty high. And so even now, I um I feel like uh like I'm putting out my first record and you know will people even show up and will people like it uh will the tour like when the tour went on sale and I was getting all the news about people actually buying I was like shocked you know I was like wow and for me to be doing it with the Black Promoters Coalition as well it's like even you know it's a full circle experience for me you know to be able to work with people that are part of my community who are me, look like me, um, and can then the success or whatever profit occurs can go into the communities that are, that are connected with wherever I go. Like the first show will be in Texas. And, you know, that is, becomes more meaningful than having number one record or, you know, having the most streams, you know, when you can actually affect people's lives and 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 do something for them um, without them even knowing. You know, you just you just came to do a show, but that show meant this many jobs. It meant that many smiles, that many tears, that many you know um, maybe maybe some interesting evenings. You know what I mean? After the show, I mean whatever it is. You know, you just you just want to make every time you step in or walk into a place, you want to leave people feeling prosperous and like they got what they really wanted, not for their money, but for more, yeah, for their money and for their soul, you know, and for their spirit and heart. So, I mean, I feel like I'm like actually really beginning, like even though I started 25 years ago, I feel like I'm actually really beginning my career now as an as, as independent person who can really make decisions about partnering with, with people that actually can affect real change in my community around the world. So this is a special time, but it's definitely the pressure's on though. <laughs> the pressure is on. But it's a good pressure because it's that pressure of knowing that now you have the name. Look, man, one of my favorite quotes ever was I was interviewing Alice Cooper and he was talking about the fact, and I love this quote, he said, fame is the brand that allows you to do good. And now that's it now. It's like, again, and it's funny because you're talking about this and I go back to Stevie and the house full of toys he does here in LA every single year and the way he uses his fame. And it's like, so for you, you know, what would be, again, now you're an opportunity when you can go and you could play the forum here in LA or Barclays in New York and make a difference in people's lives. What is, well, we'll bring this to the show and then wrap up on the state stuff. What's the greatest thing that you can hear from people, both fans coming to the show and also the people that you're working with on these shows, the greatest thing that you can hear after they watch the Black Summer Night Tour this summer? I mean, I just just hope that they, the, the people who come, 
you know, it's funny. I'm, when I when I embark on, you know, going on tour, it's usually, um, <clears throat> for me, it's usually like, okay, let me get my, let me get my shit together. Let me figure out like, okay, okay. Let me, what song, what's, what, what are we going to do? How's it going to look? What are the lights? I'm, this is the first tour that I'm more concerned about. Um, I want to erase whatever people went through for two years, whatever it was, whatever trauma it was. I mean, I've had my traumas. I'm sure everyone else, I just want to give them that sense of like new chapters beginning and we can feel optimistic again about the future. I mean, that would be the best thing if I could, if I can leave people with that, um, then I think I've done what I, I came to do because, you know, just like them, you know, I was locked up in a room, unable to go where I wanted to go, unable to do things. I wasn't really concerned that I couldn't tour. To be really honest with you, I was happy that I, I could take a minute because um, I had been doing so many festivals prior to that. And um, I, I wasn't really ever home. Um, but yeah, I mean, when people come, like, just to get back to your question, when people come back to, the, when they leave the show, I hope that they feel like, wow, life might be coming back to together again. Um, I just want to give them something to feel good about. It's been sucky for everyone. I mean, I, I would have never thought. I mean, listen, we, we had 9-11. We had, you know, we had all this stuff. You know, I'm like, but when I think back, Generations prior had World War II, World War One, and, you know, the Holocaust. And, you know, the world isn't always great. You know, the world isn't always peachy. Um, but, but it is, you know, that indomitable spirit that we have as human beings that overcomes all those problems and hopefully can, we can learn from the past and come, you know, come closer to each other. And, But then it's always, the, it's money. I don't know. I can go on and on about this, but it's, there's business and then there's like, you know, trying to be an artist and how do you like balance the two? I, people clearly can see if they look at my catalog, I care about the art. I'd be out because if I didn't, I'd be out every year. I'd be featuring with this one and that one and this one and that one and that one. And of course there's a bunch of people I'd love to work with, but my, what motivates me is not um, um, trying to, you know, I'm not like trying to be like Michael Jackson or better than anyone, you know, it's not the goal. Um, the goal is to have been part of the community of artists who made a difference, you know, affected change, affected people emotionally. And, you know, I, I, I brings me joy when like I'm, I look out to the audience and I meet some of the people who come and they're like, you know, I have, a, I have, we have kids now. Our first date was like 2001. I mean, I, I met a couple and they showed me the marquee. It was like when me and Alicia Keys were touring. It was her first album and she was a special guest. And, you know, and then I met this couple and they showed me the picture of the marquee of, and like, this was, was our first date and we've been married for this long and now we have three children. And not because of me, obviously, you know, <laughs> 
But to be associated with that kind of like memory, when you can be part of the tapestry of people's lives that way, there's no award that can even like compare, you know? I mean, literally there's no award. I mean, that is like, that's when you know, you know, that you weren't crazy. <laughs> and for me, particularly with Urban Hanks, we, cause it was, I remember people going like, how are we going to market this? And I mean, I don't know, like, this is not on the radio like that. It, I'm like, you know, you got to give people a little bit more credit, you know, they, they're, they're not as, they're not as dumb as you think, <laughs> you know, the, 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 the listener is a lot more smarter and that's kind of where I come from. I come from a place where I look at the audience and I go, you know what, you are incredibly emotionally um, intelligent and I'm here to reflect that for you if I can, you know to show you just how advanced you are. Um, Cause you know, when, when you are dealing with the pop world, um, you know, not everything is, uh, you know, not everything stays around. Um, it comes, does a lot. And then it's, um, so I've always wanted to be the slow burn, <laughs> the slow burn. I did. Like this is amazing. I really love talking to you. Unfortunately, because I screwed up the time a little bit, I have another one in five minutes. But I want to make sure. So, and also that was a great wrap up note. So we have two options because I don't want to disregard the state thing. Do you want to have Nina email me something about that, or do you want to just give me like you know a couple quick sentences on that? Whatever you want to do on it. Because I mean, look, the other thing about it too is I talk to so many artists, right? And being able to express yourself in other ways creatively, whether it's design, collaboration, you know, dude, that's a big part of the artistic process as well. Yeah, but you know what's great about that state collaboration is that it's, you know, we sent 20 kids to college, you know, for the, they, you know, optometry school, they can have their own practice, they can design, they can do whatever. It's for me to be able to, to I mean, I didn't, you know, I knew college wasn't in, in you know, in my future. Cause I was like, at 16, I was like, it's music and it's going to be music. Um, but for those who are looking to be other things, um, it's great to be able to say, Hey, you know, here's a chance, you know, you don't have to worry about your student loans. Um, I've always found it. I've, I've always looked at, um, education with a bit of, a. You know, I always looked at it really like, hmm, you know, I don't understand why people have to pay so much money to be to be educated. I just think that education should be something that should be available to people and accessible to everyone so that everyone can have a chance. Um, so that's why this partnership with state means what it means to me. Um, the Black Promoter Coalition, being able to kind of go on the road and to generate um, profits and tickets, obviously working with Anthony Hamilton, who, who I love, Joe, who's like classic R&B vocalist, like nobody sounds like that. Um, I mean, these are, these are, these are, this is a different way to work. Before it was all about profit um, and then, you know, recouping and all those things that come with the past. And now I can actually, you know, make a, make a difference, you know, not just, just be a, a guy that, that, 
you know, sings and dances and, you know, comes around here and there every now and again. So I'm, I'm just grateful. I'm grateful. I never thought, you know, I'm just grateful that this lasted and that it can, I guess it might continue. I don't know. We'll see. All right, dude, that's a great wrap up. I can't talk anymore. Great wrap up note. Anything else you want to talk about? I didn't ask you about. I'm cool. If you, if you have any questions, I know you have to get on to something else, but if you have any questions um, that you want me to answer, I can definitely just send you a statement to complete the piece. Okay. I mean, I feel like we covered, but it was an absolute pleasure talking to you. Dude. I, you know, it's so funny. I appreciate so much more people who've gone through it, people who really appreciate it, people who are older, people who've gone through that. I said last year, my favorite interviews of last year, there were three, Billy Idol, Belinda Carlisle from the Go-Go's and Debbie Gibson. And the reason why what all three shared in common is that they all went through the fame ringer and they all came out the other end. And so now everything they're doing is out of love and appreciation for doing it. You know, and it's, it's funny that you bring up Debbie Gibson because I'm like, such a, you know, I remember looking at her as a kid and going, she plays piano. Oh my God. You know what I mean? Like you, you didn't, you didn't really see that, you know, you didn't see the musician that she was. Um, and you know, it's, it's tough to kind of like, you know, once you start catching fire that way, then everybody's all in it, you know, like, you know, no one was, was concerned about me in, initially. It was just literally me, you know, hot David, Stuart Matthewman, Peter Mokrin, Mitchell Cohen, hot David, you know, it was just, just us. And then when things catch fire, when they sort of can, you know, give you a sense of like, oh, we can really like actually profit from this, then everyone wants to come in and you, you're you so concerned that you don't want to like spoil that special thing, you know, because then if it's just for the money, it just wouldn't have worked for me if it was just for the money. I just nothing... It just wouldn't work. I, I know it. Like I've tried and said, okay, you know what? This is what's happening. These are the beats that people like. And then you listen to this song and it has nothing. It just is, there's no, there's no heart in there. So um, like you said, you know, Belinda Carlisle and, and Debbie Gibson and those people, you know, they have been through it, you know? Um, but more than anything, I'm, I'm more happy that I don't need it. Like, I feel like most people would literally, like, if they're not in front of a camera, if they're not constantly being seen or talked about, they're like, well, you know, I'm so, I'm good for those five years if people, you know, need to have a minute. You know, it's nice to kind of have a moment where you can just walk down the street. It's like, no one is even caring, you know? So I always, like, my heart goes out to those who are so famous and so big that their worlds have become bubbles that, you know... But that's, uh, in some people's minds, that's a good problem <laughs> to have. Not in people I know, dude. This was an absolute pleasure. Uh, thank you so much for the time, dude. Same. I really appreciate it. And yeah, this was great, man. Thank you, Steve. Appreciate it. Hey, this is Steve Balton. You've been listening to my turning point with special guest Maxwell.
When it comes to LASIK, Dr. Boutros and the Eye Center have led the way for the past 25 years. Today, this tradition continues by being one of the few practices in the country to offer you iDesign 2.0, using the same technology as the NASA James Webb Telescope. And in the hands of an elite surgeon like Dr. Boutros, more patients are seeing 2020 or better after LASIK. Right now, enjoy 20% off iLASIK with iDesign. Go to theeyecenter.com or call 888-844-2020. Some restrictions apply. If you're a parent with cancer, you're probably worried that your child is feeling scared, sad, or alone when all you want is for them to just feel like a kid. Camp Kesem is a free week-long overnight camp for children ages 6 to 18 who have a parent facing cancer and was created for kids like yours to have a joyful and empowering summer. Kids have a blast together enjoying camp activities, surrounded by a compassionate community of friends. Register your child for a free life-changing adventure at kesem.org slash camp. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com. Code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 